Hi, I'm Abby Thomas. Welcome back to the Jubilee Plus podcast. Today, I'm bringing you an intriguingly titled seminar from Ben Parrish. This was first heard at the Churches That Change Communities Conference earlier this year. The title is Pulling Out Your Teeth. Ben has been involved in church leadership for many years and currently works full-time for the NHS as a physiotherapist, as well as being on the Jubilee Plus core team. As, as Jubilee Plus, as, as a kind of an organisation, we're, we're committed to part of our kind of ethos and what our goal is to kind of try and have a voice um, to those in power on behalf of those living in poverty who ha- need their voice to be heard. It's just true, isn't it, really, that often uh, the people that most need to have their voice heard are the ones that aren't able to, and that's part of what we want to do. One of our threads um, and our kind of core values is to try and bring a voice um, for those that haven't got a voice. And, and my role within the team... Um, really is just to try and have a little bit of a, a, a stirring around how we're responding to government policies, what's happening kind of within society and how we can empower Christians and churches to, again, speak up and have a voice in that way. And so some of it is about raising awareness, I think, isn't it? I know for myself, uh, you can only get stirred about things that you know about, can't you? I mean, I know it's a really obvious thing, um, but I don't know if you're involved in local churches, there's just so many lists of priorities that everyone in the church has got. And, and there's Probably all of them are very valid when everyone kind of very competing, aren't they? And so sometimes you can get so caught up in one thing or another. And even within social action, we can get very caught up in the doing and, and dealing with what's in front of us. That actually sometimes it's really helpful just to be made aware of an area of maybe of social action or social justice that you hadn't come across. You think, oh, I hadn't thought about that and seen that. And so part of what we want to do as an organization is to try and equip our partner churches and those churches and Christians who are connecting with us just to do some of the donkey work for you really um, which is always nice if someone does that for us isn't it Uh, where we can maybe put together some sort of briefing booklets around different areas around inequalities within our society what's going on with them uh, what's the state how can we as churches and Christians respond to that Um, and even some practical kind of examples of things that people can take away as Christians as churches and say right okay here's something I wasn't aware of this that's Right, great, a snapshot of things, maybe we can do something about this. And that's part of what we want to do is try and help equip um, you as, as Christians and churches in that way. So the first one we produced was one on health inequalities. Uh, so those are available down at our, our um, partner church um, stand down in the foyer. Um, and we're planning to do a series on these on inequalities. So looking at various aspects of inequalities that exist within the UK um, to put together these sort of briefing papers to, to raise awareness. Um, So today I want to just explore a little bit more in detail around the health inequalities and just kind of, I guess, raise awareness, stir our hearts a little bit and maybe talk about some practical ways that we can do something about this um, in our areas or in your communities that you exist in. So one of the the kind of current, very popular and hence the name of the... um, the title of our seminar is around kind of the dentistry issue within the UK at the moment. Uh, now, uh, a recent um, YouGov poll was done of 2,000 people um, earlier this year in March, and they found that 10% of the respondents had attempted some kind of DIY dentistry. And of those 20%, they did so because they couldn't find an NHS dentist. So that works out about 2% of the population at the moment are doing their own dentistry because they can't get access to an NHS dentist. And I'm sure that's probably true in your area. You know, in, I, where we live, no one can get, there's no NHS dentist at all available. Um, there's just nothing there at all. And so if that works out as roughly 2% of the population, that's the equivalent in Brighton that in 5,000 people this year would have do, done some dentistry to themselves because they couldn't access an NHS dentist. Well, here today, there's about 
350, 400 people. So you're talking sort of more than 10 times the amount of people here today. This year in Brighton, according to that statistic, have had to do something to their own teeth because they couldn't find an NHS dentist. That's, when you start looking at those numbers like that, 2% doesn't sound much, but when you think about the numbers, it's quite scary, isn't it, really? Um, and as always, uh, this, this poll and this bit of work that was done um, found that the people that were most affected are people from deprived areas, people from ethnic minorities, homeless people, refugees, and people with complex needs such as autism. It's always the way, isn't it? <laughs> Who's the one of the people most affected? It's the people that aren't able to pay for their own dentist. They can't go private and therefore they're going to be suffering more than anything. Um, and I know most of society would say this, but particularly as Christians, we have to say that this isn't okay, is it? It just, it really isn't okay. That's not kind of how we think society should work. So before we get into maybe some of the practical things that we can think about and how we can do it, I just want to spend a moment kind of stepping back a little bit and thinking about what does God think about inequalities and what's God's kind of plan for society to try and deal with inequalities that exist. So in Zechariah 7, it says this, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Now, Natalie's already spoken, hasn't she, about showing mercy and showing compassion and, and, and executing justice. And that's kind of generally our theme. So you're going to hear about it quite a lot. And I'm sure you talk a lot about it as well, wherever you guys go. But when you read sort of the commentators on that passage, they would have said that those four people groups that are mentioned there, the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the poor, they would have been, at that time, the people that had no social standing or any sense of agency in themselves. So they were the powerless people. There was obviously no welfare state or anything like that, which would have been a safety net for them to live on. And so they, that group of people were probably all one day away from starvation and death. Those were the people really at the bottom of the social um, ladder. If we were writing that today, it'd be interesting to think of what other groups of people we might add to that list who are at the lowest rung of the ladder in our society, the groups that are separate, the ones that are maybe not one day away from starvation and death, but certainly not many days away. Maybe we'd also include refugees, homeless, addicts, the elderly, even disabled. The groups that generally are on the receiving end when anything's going bad in society, they're the ones that get it worse more than anybody. Maybe they're the ones that certainly, they might not be right on the, on the edge of extinction, but they might be people that have got no voice and no agency whatsoever. Commentating on this, this verse, um, Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, says, the, justice, the justness of a society, according to the Bible, is evaluated by how it treats these groups. So these groups are people that are neglected and, and on the outside. Any neglect shown to the needs of the members of these groups is not merely called a lack of mercy or charity, but a violation of justice. God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power, and so should we. This is what it means to do justice. I mean, sometimes you just think you can just stop there, to be honest. Do you mean? <laughs> You're not going to do better than what Tim Keller says about that. That just hits it, doesn't it, at the heart of the, of the gospel. Um, and when we talk about God not having any favourites, he does actually clearly have a huge heart and favouritism towards those that society has put to the outside. When we read on um, in Deuteronomy, I think Deuteronomy 15 gives us an incredible insight of, of how 
if we think about how we would you structure society, God, something in Deuteronomy 15 gives us an example of how God would like to see society in place. So in Deuteronomy 15, it gives us this kind of rundown, really, of how the, the people of God were to structure society, basically to stop inequalities becoming permanent inequalities within a society. So it talks there, doesn't it, about every seven years you must cancel debts. Well, the reason for that, that year of Jubilee, was in order to prevent the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. It was to bring um, equality back together again. So where equality starts to exist, inequality starts to exist, God is building in a system where he says, right, every seven years we're going to reset it, we're going to reset it. I don't want inequalities in wealth to exist in a permanent way. He says there about, in verse 4, there, be, there need be no poor among you. And he says, verse 7, if anyone is poor among you, because I guess within those seven years you're going to get people that have got stuff and people haven't, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. And in verse 7 he says, give generously towards the poor and to do so without a grudging heart. And I think that's just an, a real insight into God's purpose. He, knew, he knew, knows the world isn't perfect. He knows that humans aren't perfect. He knows that there's going to be a, a, a contest between people having stuff. And he, he knew that we're not in heaven yet. We're not in his perfect kingdom. But whilst on earth, he's saying, actually, if you can put some of these things in place, that is going to help society stay as equal as is realistically possible. I think that's a great manifesto, isn't it? If anybody wants to run on that in the next year, then I think you'd probably, well, you'd certainly get a lot of votes in this room, wouldn't you? Uh, let's be honest. But that is, is an incredible thing. But the, it's so far from our own personal experience across societies in the world, but obviously we're talking about the UK. Inequalities will just arise, and, and often we see that as the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. I listened recently to a, uh, a podcast. Um, I tried to turn off my WhatsApp. And it's coming up on there, which I did think could become embarrassing in one moment, but it's popping up. So um, I listened to a podcast recently by um, the News Agents podcast. Anyone come across that one? Um, it's from Global Players. People like Emily Maitlis, John Sopel, some journalists. They do it every day just to give you a snippet of what's going on in the news. Um, there's one back in September called Why We Need to Talk About Wealth. Um, and to be honest, it's the sort of one you'd need to listen to about 20 times to understand it. But the point they were making is that actually our tax system in the UK is set up actually to reward the wealth, those with wealth. Um, it's not a progressive tax system at all. And I was like, oh, I was quite surprised by that. So they were talking about the fact that as a percentage of their income, um, our current prime minister pays less in tax than people in the lowest tax rate because of capital gains tax and various ways of getting around it and stuff like that. Um, and it just made me think, wow, even what we think is a progressive tax system actually isn't. Our tax system is set up to help those that get richer, the rich get richer, and actually the poor to get poorer. Our society doesn't live in an equal place, and it doesn't in any way build in some of those safeguards that God wanted to build into system, in our system in order to come away from that. So... If that's the case, and in the UK we know the gap is getting larger and larger, then how does that reflect? What does that look like in terms of this gap? We can talk about those inequalities, but when, it, when we drill it down to looking at health inequalities, what does that look like between the gap for those that are in most affluent areas as opposed to those who are living in the most deprived areas of our country? And sometimes there's loads of statistics. We can find these out and pull them out, but they are very much an example of how unequal our society is. 
So you can see there, it says women in the most deprived 10% of areas will die almost eight years younger than women living in the least deprived areas. Um, and for men, that's nine years life expectancy different in the UK. People who live in the most affluent areas have 20 years longer of good health on average compared to those living in poverty. So that's not just about life expectancies, that's about quality of life. I know for myself that working in my clinic, I, I, as a physio, I work in a clinic for the NHS in one of the most deprived areas in our town, and it's in the top kind of 10% of the UK. Um, I know that the people that come in from those deprived areas, they tend to have at least three, they, I see people with pain, back pain and neck pain, but they also have at least three or four other significant health issues going on. People that come in who are from the more affluent areas, they tend to have back pain. They might have other stuff. Now, I know health, you know, hits us and it hits different people, but you do notice most definitely that those people living in the more deprived areas have, you know, less quality of life because they tend to have more other health issues going on. Someone is um, three and a half times more likely to die from an avoidable death if they live in the most deprived areas rather than the least deprived areas. That's scary, isn't it? Avoidable deaths. Um, things that can be avoided or delayed by timely and effective healthcare or public health interventions. Three and a half times more likely to die in the UK from an avoidable death if you're in the least deprived areas. And the number of GPs per 10,000 people is lower in deprived areas compared to affluent areas. And it's pretty hard to get hold of a GP in an affluent area, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest. So it's even worse, which then feeds into all these things, doesn't it? If you can't get hold of a GP, if you can't get hold of a healthcare professional, then you're suddenly struggling to then your health condition gets worse and you develop more. And we can just see the cycle goes on and on and on, doesn't it? And these have a huge impact on millions of people in our world, in our communities and across our country. We've already mentioned about some access to dentistry care uh, and about the big looming healthcare issue this is becoming. We have to realise always, don't we, that it's not just isolated to your teeth. We know that there's... Um, I was talking to a, a colleague of mine who's a cardiac specialist nurse, and she was saying, which I wasn't aware of, that actually when people develop abscesses in their teeth, there is a bacteria that, they can, that develops at that same time, which can um, then cause heart disease. Um, so actually there can be a direct link between an untreated abscess in your mouth and heart disease. Now it's not 100%, obviously, not everyone gets that, gets that, but it raises your risk and it can cause then heart disease. So then we're looking at, aren't we, it's not just about having bad teeth, it's then developing heart disease. And, then develop heart, and, and we can just see the domino effect, can't we, across all of these things. So... This inequality exists, we can see it happening at the moment, but it, we can see it spreading into various areas as well, other than just dentistry. Uh, I just saw a, a recent Sky News report that said that nearly a thousand community pharmacies in England are closed since 2017, with the biggest closures inevitably are in deprived areas. So 40% of all the losses have been in the poorest 20% of areas. So again, access to that effective healthcare and timely healthcare is getting harder and harder. And when actually part of the, the way that the NHS is looking to help take pressure off GPs is to get community pharmacies to do more, but if they're closing and you've got less access to them, that's not going to help either, is it? So we can see these problems just compound and compound. I was um, Another example, which again I, I hadn't thought about, was I, I was chatting to a, a patient of mine recently who's got long-term back pain and he's on some prescribed, quite strong um, pain medication. But he was saying to me that he can't take his medication because you have to take the medication with food, and he can't afford to eat regularly. 
So therefore, he's not able to take his medication to help him with his back pain, to get him mobile to do stuff, because he, can't, he hasn't got enough regular food to be able to take his pain medication. So you can see how food poverty is then affecting his ability to manage his health condition, which is then going to affect his ability to get out and about. So you then grab loneliness comes on top of that. And, and they, these things just often spiral together, don't they, and connect together. And one thing isn't just isolated, it causes another. And there's a whole area which we could look at around access to healthcare for those with learning disabilities and the poor outcomes they experience, um, most definitely, and the a higher number of avoidable deaths for those with any kind of learning disability and everything is quite shocking when you look at those statistics as well. So there's a whole kind of picture here which on the one level kind of feels a little bit depressing, doesn't it really? Uh, and we do kind of think, oh, if only we'd followed God's guidance in Deuteronomy 15. If only society was built around the sense where inequality is bad, how do we factor in systems to do it? But we can't, can we? We can't make that change in such an excessive way. But what can we do about it? And I guess that's kind of the thing that we sit and think about, isn't it? Is, it's a massive thing, and I look at that and think, well, how on earth can any of us in this room today on a Saturday in a wet Brighton, what can we really do about some of these scary and kind of frightening statistics? Well, there's always something we can do, isn't there? And I'm always reminded of there's that proverb that you probably have heard of before, not in the Bible proverb, but a saying kind of proverb, of a story where there was a, a whole beach full of starfish that had been washed up in the storm. Um, and there was this um, young lad kind of walking along, picking up a starfish and throwing it back into the sea. But there's millions of these starfish all across the beach. Um, and this old guy walked along and tapped the young boy on the shoulder and said, what's the point? You're never going to save all these starfish. What difference are you making to this situation? And, he, and the little boy would pick up one at a time, throw it in and said, I made a difference to that one. Picked up another one. Well, I made a difference to that one. And sometimes it feels a bit like that, doesn't it, with some of these things. We look at them and think the scale of it is so huge. How can I do anything about this whole thing? But the reality is that in our own little way, we can make a difference to individuals and into situations. And we can often be surprised about the difference that makes. Um, one example of that is a guy called Dr. John Adambrook. Um, so I was, uh, a friend of mine sadly has got cancer at the moment and he was getting treatment down at Adamrooks Hospital in Cambridge, which is our big kind of local regional area. And I was waiting outside the front door to pick him up with his wife. And I just noticed this little plaque on the door next to the main entrance at Adamrooks. Um, and so I took a quick picture and thought, oh, I could use that, that's helpful. Um, so jo Dr. John Adambrook, back in, the, in, um, the 17, in 1719, um, he basically left the sum of £4,500 in his will to hire, fit up, purchase or erect a building fit for a small physical hospital for poor people. That's what, that is what, what he left in his will. He died at a young age in his late 30s. Um, and actually, John Adambrook, he grew up and they were expecting him to go in to be a vicar and to go into the clergy, but in the end he decided to go into medicine and become a doctor. But that guy... From you know, he, he probably thinks what, what his short life, what difference he made. He left in his will some money specifically to build a hospital for poor people because he would have seen that they would have been on the outside. And now that's some massive national teaching hospital that's making a massive difference across not just those that are poor but across all of society. But he'll never know what he accomplished. But actually, one person just left something in his will. He didn't even build the building. He didn't even do anything about it, but he made it possible then for not only the poor, but actually I thought that was quite, impre quite 
profound that that was his, his first kind of thought, then spanned this massive hospital that is then making a massive difference across our whole region. The one person can, you can make it, we can make a difference, even if it's a bit like, I think Charlie was talking earlier about these gifts of faith. Sometimes we, we think we can't do anything, but then when God breathes on something, actually, who knows where and what it could become. So, actually, sometimes we can make a small difference in small ways by doing the right thing. In 2019, before the pandemic hit, I, uh, I, myself and I took a team of guys from our church over to um, Los Angeles to volunteer for a week in a place called the LA Dream Center, uh, which some of you might have heard of, a massive kind of social action project church there that work in, into the homeless community in LA. Um, and they have on the, one of their mottos on their wall is, find a need and fill it. Um, and I always found that to be incredibly profound. We can sometimes have great big plans, can't we? Well, I've, I've seen this works in this church over there. We're going to do that here. But actually, what we need to do is find the needs in your local community. It might, I mean, dentistry is a problem everywhere, but you might not have a retired dentist. You might not have somebody that you can find access to, but there might be other health issues. It might simply be that people in deprived areas are struggling to get to their appointments over in the hospital that is two bus rides away and they can't get there. You might say as a community, you might think, actually, maybe we could just put some volunteer drivers together to help our local people get to their health appointments because actually missing appointments is a huge thing. And especially at the moment with the wait for appointments, you miss an appointment, you could be waiting another six months for a follow-up if you're not discharged and have to start the whole system again. You see, it doesn't always have to be incredible, amazing stuff, that big kind of beach full of starfish seems too huge. Sometimes it's actually just finding what the local needs are in our place and dealing with it from there. The reality is, is that, like it or not, these inequalities are, are going to be growing over the forthcoming season, aren't they? That The reality in our society is that these inequalities are not going to go away. And so there is a call on us as Christians, as local churches, to step up and step into that gap that Natalie was talking about earlier and finding what we can do to go about that. There are, in the, in the thing that we've produced, there are loads of kind of practical ideas of ways you can get involved. It might even be the first thing to do is have a prayer meeting on this theme where you talk about it, you pray about it, and you say, God, show us some stuff. How can we get involved? Bring some people into our remit that we, in, our, in our area where we can actually make use of the resources. What resources have we got in the church you, or, or your community? You might have people that are just sitting there that got skills that want to get involved. But we do need to be thinking, how can I show my involvement? There's a, a scheme even working with the church here in Brighton that I'm aware of, where they're now coordinating with a local GP who's working into one of the uh, more deprived communities in Brighton. And they're starting to partner together and say, well, actually, if you can do that side of things, we would love to do this side of things and work together. Uh, social prescribing is a huge kind of thing within the NHS now, this whole sense of referring people on to other agencies rather than just giving them medication and dealing with that if someone's lonely how can they connect with other people um, that might help them as churches we can get involved in that we can be part a place where people can be referred to to get support and to get care are we are we on the radar of social prescribers your local gp surgeries they know about you are they aware of that talking about i mean again it's another level to what i'm talking about but over in la at the dream center they do they do hold rehabilitation program now for a lot of homeless people and it's got to the stage where the, the local um, uh, courts now are instead of the right person, obviously, instead of sending some people to jail, they're now sending them to the Dream Centre for rehabilitation because they say you get better outcomes there than sending them to prison. 
it's like, that's incredible, isn't it? But again, it's, it's building a reputation and making ourselves known and helping wherever we can. So what are the inequalities in your community? Uh, what are the, the ones, if you don't know them, pray, talk, find out, ask and see what the needs are and can you fill it? Can you raise awareness of some of these things that are going on? Like I say, it might even be simply we just want to open our eyes, open our, our church community's eyes to some of these things. We only are aware of things that when we're told about them. That's the truth. Um, and the majority of us, the majority of people in our churches, we, do, we sit in the middle of those inequalities. We're probably not the richest people in our... We don't live in the 20% of the most richest, and we're probably, most of us, aren't on the other end in the 20% most deprived. And therefore, you only tend to be aware of something when you're experiencing it, aren't you? I always think that people only look at their paycheck when it gets sent round, when actually they're suddenly really short and they're suddenly checking to see whether they get paid enough. Actually, when the times are good, you hardly ever check your pay. pay you think, oh, yeah, it's just going to my bank and that's fine. When actually money gets tight, you suddenly check it, don't you? You think, am I getting everything I'm supposed to be getting? Or you just check your tax code just to check you're not being put on the wrong one because you might be owned. So when things are difficult. So when we're in the middle group, we don't know often about inequalities. We don't see them because we're not experiencing them. So we have a responsibility, I think, as Christians to seek out the inequalities and ask God to speak to us about how we can play a part in dealing with that. And um, some people might come back to us. I've certainly had this said to me plenty of times in our local context. Well, that's the job of government. That's the job of other charities. You know, that's not the job of the church. And we get that all, you might get that all the time. You might hear that sometimes saying, we don't want to become social services. That's not what the church is. Um, well, firstly, I would, I would question really that entirely about when you read the New Testament, the gospel is full of, full of this, as well as the Old Testament, as we've already said. But I think this is a really key verse for me. It's letting our light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think, wouldn't it be incredible if we, as the church in this nation, that has got a bit of a mixed reputation, um, and even now when things happen and it puts another slur on the church... I always think in our local communities, wouldn't it be amazing if we were known for our good deeds? Because what God says is in the end, that will glorify our Father in heaven. People actually will come to a place where they're glorifying our Father in heaven because they see our good deeds. Good deeds aren't wrong. People think, oh, it's works. It's not works. Good deeds is the gospel. Because, and who we are, we point people to Jesus. Wouldn't it be incredible if you're in your local community, your, your local NHS services suddenly said you, you as, a, as a church, as a local community of Christians, suddenly were known as, yeah, those people, we trust them. We, they, they've, they've pitched up, they've helped us, we're on our knees, yet they've come to us and said, how can we help? The church gets a reputation for good deeds, and in the end it glorifies our Father in heaven. It doesn't glorify us, but it should always glorify him. And I think that's why we should be bothered about inequalities, that's why we should be bothered about what's happening, and that's why we should see actually we do have a role to play even if it's just with a starfish, one starfish. I'll just finish on this. I just think in my role as a, as a physio, and I work with, like I say, my particular interest is people that live with long-term pain. Um, that's often the people that most physios don't want to see because they're not going to get better. <laughs> they want to see people that are going to get better. Um, but I love the, working with those people, uh, and, and often they're people that have got complex issues and going on. But, and they're often people that aren't treated very well by healthcare. A lot of people just struggle with them because they're the people that are constantly going back to the GP and the GP says, I don't know what to do with you. I can't fix you. Healthcare is set up to fix people. Uh, but the truth is we can't really fix a lot of stuff. But actually everyone's desperate to send them to somewhere else to try and fix them. 
and I love working with those people. I love sitting with them and talking and trying to understand and showing them some love. And I can't fix them. I want to help them live with what they've got going on and help them to have a meaningful life. And I really believe that we can give them some hope. But actually, if I can show someone who's on the receiving end of some, some health inequalities, some love and some understanding and give them some hope, then I've made a difference to that starfish. And sometimes it might just be that we can't fix the inequalities, but we can show them love. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. I really genuinely think that because there's not a lot of love out there at times. But actually, we can do that in our positions, whatever position that might be. Thanks so much to Ben Parrish. And thank you for joining us today at the Jubilee Plus podcast. Make sure you do subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you can hear the next episode as soon as it's released. And do recommend us to a friend as well if you've enjoyed today's seminar. Thanks and see you soon. Underneath the shelter of-